Hello and welcome to Housewives and Me, a podcast about why we love the real housewives. I'm your host, Connor Bean, and welcome back for another brand new episode. Thank you for joining me. I hope you've enjoyed the recent heat wave that we had. I'm recording this on one of those hottest day of the year days early in the morning, so I'm hoping that I won't boil alive while I bundle up with all the windows closed for sound and hope that you can't hear the seagulls who have been going, oh, you can hear them now, going hog wild. <laughs> Uh, around my apartment the last week. I don't, don't, I don't know if the weather makes them worse, but it kind of feels like it does. Anyway, anyway, we have a really exciting guest today. The one and only Ellen Hahn is with me. A really interesting chat. We covered so much ground. It was kind of one of those conversations where we kind of hit on every element of Housewives that I'm interested in. So the fact that we managed to do that in like an hour was very impressive. I should say as well, I was recently a guest on the podcast Gasbagging, uh, which is hosted by Dan Morrison. You may remember Dan was a guest on the show a little while ago as well. It was really fun to chat to him about my love of the Aussie Housewives shows because I'm re-watching Melbourne at the moment. And of course, we got into all the big Housewives episodes that came out this week, including the Potomac premiere, which I will talk about here in a second. Uh, the current conversation around New York, obviously everything went down in Beverly Hills, Erica this week, there was lots, we covered a lot of ground and somehow I managed to do a lot of Wendy Williams impressions. So I'll pop a link to that episode of Gasbagging in the show notes, but you can find that wherever you get your podcast. And do the show is great in general, like I just love the, it's a really fun recap show and there's something about hearing Australian Housewives fans talk about the shows, it feels like a fresh perspective. So it's kind of hilarious that I'm now the, <laughs> the Irish voice on a on an episode of an Australian podcast. But anyway, check that one out. I will link to it in the show notes. I think you will definitely enjoy it. Consider it like, you know, a bonus episode of me of sorts. If you weren't sick of the sound of my voice, there's another option for you to go and uh, <laughs> go and listen to it. So it is about time for me to discuss the uh, Housewives of Potomac premiere. What I'll do is I'll put a little uh, timestamp in the show notes. So if you haven't seen the episode or if you're not up to date, you can just skip ahead to the main interview. But... For those of us who had the joy of watching, let's discuss season six premiere of Real Housewives of Potomac. We've had a couple of, we've had a few premieres this year, right? And they're, you know, some are better than others, but like, they're always pretty strong episodes. This, this was heaven. This was 50, what, 53, 54 minutes long of sheer joy. Like, I felt like I was mainlining joy into my system throughout this entire episode. I am so glad these women are back in my lives. I am so happy to see like so many returning faces and to see Dr. Wendy come back and feel like such an integral part of the show even after one season is really something. Um, Obviously Giselle still dressing as badly as ever, still beefing with Karen. Their big fight at the end felt like the crescendo of the episode and seems to set up a very tense and kind of no doubt combative moment for them all season, like even more so than what we've seen before. I do feel like if you're going off of who overall is more engaging on the show right now does feel like Karen is edging out Giselle in the sense that Karen is charismatic and glamorous and funny and seems to know her power with the kind of housewives fandom and how much she's adored so I'm curious how that may even factor into how they be for the rest of the season. Dr. Wendy seems to be taking up this kind of like even bigger position than she had last year like she was so open about her surgeries and stuff and I know there's some stuff coming down the pipe with her and Eddie and possible rocky road ahead with their marriage but she's just you know front and center and I think she could be kind of a narrator for this season as well Candace I'm not sure about like she was in good spirits this episode we didn't get her at the group dinner so we don't get to see her in the group and I'm curious how long it is until we get the Candace that we had last season who was you know quite combative Ashley I have grown to like over the years but when I see her with Michael Darby I just feel this intense sadness where I'm like oh god you really are stuck with this man 
So hopefully he's as good a dad as, as she insists he is because I just can't. He rots me. He just rots me. Um, Robin having the COVID depression is probably the most relatable thing on the show this season. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. Like, it's just some of the stuff they were saying, you don't get up till this time. I was like, if that wasn't me for six months of last year, like, huge mood. Huge. So hopefully Juan develops a little bit of understanding, you know. Uh, we got a new girl, Mia, who was very interesting. I, I, I'm guessing we got the proper introduction scene next week. Felt a little bit odd to introduce her sort of almost backwards via the Karen friendship, which I'm sure is for our benefit and probably isn't very real, but seems like she seems to already fit into the mix, which is like, I feel like there's huge potential there and this cast is quite tightly knit. So it'll be interesting to see how they gel or don't, given that we see Mia and Candace literally throw salad at each other at some point this season. And over on social media, I asked you to give me some comments and thoughts on the premiere on Instagram and Twitter. You delivered as always. These are just a selection of the comments because I could be here all day reading everything that people sent. So so if you head over to at Housewives and Me on Instagram and Twitter, you'll see posts that I put up recently asking about the premiere. You can click through and have a look at some of the comments. Maybe weigh in if you do or don't agree. On Instagram, Kate said, read the premiere. I hope Juan realizes that Robin is actually going through something, depression, pandemic fatigue, and she's not just a lazy mom. <laughs> oh, uh, Monique, shout out to Monique. I kind of like Giselle, but always think it's a bad sign when a housewife performs better in the testimonials than when she's filming with the ladies. Well, that's a good point. Karen was fantastic, I think, and I hope this, and I, <laughs> sorry, Karen was fantastic, I think, and hope this is Candace's last season. <laughs> uh, fingers crossed Wendy has a good season and the cheating rumors are just that. I kind of like Ashley, but it's hard to invest in caring about her when she's married to Gollum. Oh! <gasps> Ooh! <laughs> When I saw that, I was like, she really said Gollum. <laughs> uh, too soon to form an opinion of Mia under the Eileen Davidson Accord trademark Brian Moylan. Yes, who famously uh, on his Vulture recaps always says, we can't judge someone until they're, you know, four or five episodes into their run. So fair enough. Uh, Lorna said on Twitter, loved it, loved Mia not knowing the age gap. Yeah, her not being able to do the basic maths of how much older her husband is was funny. Feels like there's big potential there. Giselle saying she's uh, going to start slowly telling Karen's truth and her reaction to Karen's comment about Jamal. Yeah, Giselle thinks she's playing this long game and Karen came in so hot. And I do think in Housewives, sometimes coming in hot will... We'll save the day. Uh, Peter said on Twitter, no solo scene for Mia. I understand they wanted this ep to pop with the drama and maybe it wasn't time, but they had time to show Candace's bonus kids when she didn't even come to the first group event. But Jizzy and Karen, messy, hotbox. (laughs) Giselle looks desperate though, which I think is the Irish use of the word desperate. God, they look desperate, like bad. I don't think, but also you could argue that she looks desperate in the more traditional sense. And I just liked this comment from Laura Jane on Instagram. That summed up my feelings where she just said, Christ, I loved it. So did I. <laughs> so that's Potomac. I'm excited to see where this season goes. And I'm excited to chat to guests about this season in general as we carry on through the rest of the summer. So hopefully this season will deliver on the promise that the trailer has and the promise that this premiere had, to be honest, all 54 plus minutes of a sheer heaven. Anyway, that is more than enough Potomac chat for now. As I mentioned, I did get into Potomac on this week's episode of Gas Bagging as well. So if you want more from me in this episode and even more detail, you can pop over there as well. But for now, I'm really excited to play this one for you. Here is my interview with Ellen Hahn on Housewives and Me. (music) 
My guest today is an actor and writer. She is the co-author of the book Cinderella and the Glass Ceiling and Other Feminist Fairy Tales. She has had a recurring part on the series How to Get Away with Murder and she has performed at venues like the iconic UCB in California as well. Ellen Hahn, welcome to Housewives and Me. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> it's you. It's so funny. I feel like everyone who like is remotely adjacent to a creative field has been asked to do a podcast and usually it's like, you can talk about your life, you can talk about yourself, but when it's, you can come on us about Real Housewives, everyone's like, yes, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> but I truly spend so much time thinking about these shows and it's just really joyful to like have an outlet to actually discuss them because <laughs> my yes, husband exactly. and my cat don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a tough audience so they, they won't be taking part today so you said you like talking about the shows but how did you get into Real Housewives well I I very vividly remember watching that first season of OC because I think I was I was either still in high school or I was in college and like home um uh like home for the summer or something but I remember mm-hmm. watching it with my mom and I think one of my sisters probably the other one was too young at that point and we all because we were really into Desperate Housewives which is of course yes. like how the OC spun off um but we started watching that and then I, w- I went to college in California so kind of throughout college I would continue to like watch the OC Housewives um with with friends like just just for fun and then I so that's how I got into it and, and then you know through most of my 20s I like would go through periods of have of not having a television and then having a television and not having one and having one and so I was always like those years I was like always kind of in and out and then honestly it's like been the last maybe 4 years that I've really like I'm on to all the cities all the time. <laughs> I've really gotten invested. I think like we all have those moments in our lives, particularly I think through your 20s when like TV becomes a little bit of a side character because you just don't have time but you mentioned there that you watched the first season of OC. I'm so curious like when you think about it now, like what has changed? Because that first season, particularly of OC, was so different to the this franchise that we have now. Yeah, well, I, what I really remember about that season is like Joe Delarosa, the the one who was young and married to Slade, and it was yes. so obvious that, or I don't think they were married, maybe they were engaged, but she, mm-hmm. it was so obvious that this poor woman should not be living in Orange County, surrounded by all these other women who were like you know older than her by like maybe ten or fifteen years, and Mm -hmm. had families and she clearly just wanted to be in los angeles and like be pursuing her dreams of of music or whatever it was that she was working on um and that was what i loved about that is that no one was saying it and everyone could tell and i think (laughs) that's honestly one of the great things about housewives i think even now that you can always tell what somebody wants and many, many times no one is actually saying that, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I've actually I've gone back and watched a few of those very early OC episodes and even early New York episodes. And it is it is wild because I think and I think they started making these shows kind of as more of a, a documentary kind of feel because not as much happens. You know, there's not the focus isn't on the drama. The focus isn't on Vicky said this and now I hate her. It's it's all about kind of like lifestyle porn like look at this beautiful Mm. house we live behind these gates that was the other thing that 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 first season was all we live behind this we live in this gated community for some reason that that was very in vogue which even kind of in the states feels like that has kind of fallen away i do remember that there was a time where it was considered very fancy to live behind a gate And it is funny too because it almost feels like because OC started and it fears in the financial crisis obviously just impacted the US but like ended up becoming almost a character on 
Housewives slash the OC is one of the shows that like the gated community thing is very pre-recession or something. Gosh, that I remember that episode where I think it's Lynn's daughter is served the notice that they're being evicted because they're behind on rent. And that is like, oh, man, obviously we love these shows for the drama and for the the antics. But when real life creeps in, as it's happening in like Beverly Hills right now, when real mm-hmm. life creeps in and affects these people, it's it, it's honestly quite moving television. I remember that 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 episode was very sad, that the conversation between Lynn and her husband, whose name I forget. Um she was very angry and I, you know, obviously don't blame her. It's interesting too, because I think people wouldn't know this, but the reason that, you know, we ended up kind of connecting over houses is you just randomly reached out to me on Instagram because you're kind of working on a project where you're looking at the houses through a different lens. And you're like, I'm just chatting to people who do podcasts and, and like, just trying to understand it. And you, you said in your email to me that you were trying to figure out the deeper reasons that people watch. And I was curious now that you've been kind of chatting to people who do podcasts and that kind of thing, what do you think are some of the deeper reasons that we watch the shows? Um, yeah, there are there are a lot, and I think it's different for everybody. Um, I think obviously there's the escapism element. Um, mm-hmm. The that first of all, the, I mean, these shows are very very entertaining, and uh, I mean that's props to Bravo and all of these production companies. They, I think, every episode of Beverly Hills this season has ended with a. Um, like next week on or to, to be, be continued. continued. Yes. <laughs> of course it's to be continued. It's a television show. It continues every week. <laughs> it's serialized storytelling. It never doesn't continue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Other people, I'm not the first person to make this point, but um, there are very few television shows and movies and, um, you know, art and art and entertainment in general about women women that are a little bit older like really women in their 40s and above i remember being in acting school and i had a there was a a teacher who this was a truly horrific moment he drew a map of like how men make money over their career and it just like went up and he was like and this is how women make money over their career and it peaked at 30 and just went down oh. from there oh and my I was god like, First We're of all, you, sh- <laughs> you really shouldn't do that to a group of like, you know, 20 somethings who are just like sitting there in horror about to have student loans. But I, I you know, and I anyway, I, I digress. I think that I, I think as I keep coming back to it, I think that that is truly a, a huge part of it. And now with peak TV, like, of course, there are more TV shows about women and et cetera, et cetera. But you don't or even in the art about women. I feel like there's always, and I think this is true of a lot of different groups, there's always a little pushback. There's always pressure to be like, well, this isn't representative of most women, or this isn't representative of the women I know. And female characters don't really have the space to be like messy and ugly and mean. And then also maybe later funny and quirky and rich. Um, And this, these, this, this, these franchises are one of the only spaces in television where this happens, which I just think. And then on top of that, I'm a little (laughs) perturbed by the fact that it is reality television and that this stuff really does actually affect their lives. But like when you think about everything that Luann went through with her marriage to Tom and then getting arrested and going to rehab, that's really, you know, she, she seems to be doing okay now, but like that's tragic. She had several like really, really tough years and it is um it can be difficult to swallow that this uh that now that we like watch this for entertainment and then also the other thing is that what is it doing to our brains as the viewer that 
this is quote unquote reality television. It's obviously not reality. It's entertainment, but we are kind of absorbing it as reality. We're absorbing it both as reality and as entertainment, which um, I guess maybe is an obvious thing to say, but I think is a bit of a a mind fuck for the people that, oh, sorry, can I curse? Oh, you can um, say whatever okay. you want. <laughs> it's a bit of a mind fuck for the people that watch and like um, for the people that watch and then talk about these shows, because I'm also fascinated in the fact that we all that we like to discuss them. And it is like sports. It is fun. It's chatting with your girlfriends. There's certainly nothing wrong with it. But I think especially over this course of especially over the course of this last year with, well, year and a half with COVID and we haven't, you know, there's so much that we have missed and just haven't been able to see people. And I don't know, I've watched a lot more television this year than I normally have. Anything that is presenting itself to be kind of close to reality, I think, takes a larger space in our brain than something that we're watching that we know is a TV show, like is scripted, has a story, like will end someday. It's really interesting, the idea that when it's reality TV, we become a little bit more invested because, you know, there is a thing with a great comedy or drama as you say, you know the actors are playing a character. You know that the show will one day end, whereas technically the housewives could end, but their lives never end. Like, you were talking about to be continued. Like, it's the ultimate to be continued. So I'd never thought of that, that the investment is because it's, like, it's never going to end, basically. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And in, in your, kind of, in your research, I suppose, you, you, where you've been speaking to people about their relationship to the shows or their ha- viewing habits and that kind of thing, has anything that anybody has said to you, like in general, surprised you? Or is there any even trends of what's come up from people where you've gone, oh, I hadn't thought of that? Because I'm sure you've re examined your feelings about the franchise, but has anyone said anything where you're like, oh, damn, I, I hadn't thought of it that way? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, honestly, what I have just really found in the last like month or two is I'll text my friends who have children and be like, have you seen the most recent Beverly Hills? And they're like, no, I don't have time. <laughs> I have children. <laughs> I have children. And I'm like, oh, okay, right, right, right. Well, I'm caught up. Let me know when you want to discuss this. I think that, you know, I guess I, so I, the, this, this last year, has been so interesting in the Bravo universe where, you know, Kelly Dodd has been fired. They've added all of these women of color to like all of these predominantly white casts. Um, And it seems like in each city. So I've talked to a lot of friends about, about this, that in each city, there's one woman, one or two women in Beverly Hills who are expected to come in and add like diversity to these franchises. And what has been really difficult to watch about that is that in many cases, it feels like poorly thought out like Tiffany I don't really watch Dallas that much but I did watch a little bit of Tiffany Moon in Dallas and it really just felt like she was getting thrown into the wolves like yeah. all of the other women were not dealing with any of their internalized racism and just being really cruel to her over and over and that and then also sitting with this discomfort of uh, the especially in New York well, th- these shows absolutely should be more diverse there's no reason that it's a, a cast of, of entirely white women but especially in New York, I think that that's probably true to their to the social circle of Ramona, Luann, and Sonia. I think that they probably really only interact with white people, or the majority of their social circle is white. Um, and so it's tough to watch. You know, in many, obviously, Ebony knew what she was getting herself into, and can is more than capable of. And she's doing, she's having a great like first season, but it's really uncomfortable to watch like Luann yell at her and Ramona yell at her. It just feels like it's starting to feel like 
we're now in this age where housewives come onto the show and they're already aware of the show. And mm. like, we kind of need, I, I think in the case of New York, we, it pains me to say this, but I think we need to get rid of the old guard and, and just kind of rebuild around Leah and Ebony. Um, because the, it, it, the, the show seems to have outgrown those three personalities. I could maybe keep Sonia. I love Sonia. But <laughs> that the world, I think, has... We're in this moment for all of the Bravo shows where I think the world has passed the social moment that these Bravo shows are in. And again, I think that like the reality of the white women that live in Dallas and the white women that live in New York is like, I, I think that for a long time, these shows were an accurate reflection of their so social circles. That was like, they were only surrounded by rich white women that, you know, had homes in the fancy neighborhoods in Dallas and the fan and like the Hamptons in New York. Um, but it seems to me that at least as a viewer, it seems like maybe Bravo has not really done what it's starting to feel like is that they just put one woman of color on each of these franchises and then like, didn't really think about the implications of that. Didn't think about what they would like be putting them into. And I mean, I hope that they, I, I don't know. I, I really hope that they feel supported because it doesn't really seem that way when we watch these shows right now. Yeah. It's almost like they had one idea and just went with it and didn't do a lot of the like due diligence or duty of care that they could over. That sort of feels like maybe they are, as you say, but it's also interesting because I think right off the bat, if you're a new person going into particularly the established housewife shows like in New York or Beverly Hills that have 10 plus years on air, you're already in a difficult position because you have to mix with established personalities, strong personalities. And then if you're like, damn, now I have to try and have an, like a, an impactful and meaningful conversation about race when really the vibe is that we all want to get drunk in a like friend's mansion. Like it's, there's yeah. a double duty that they have to do as, which is already just adding to the layers and the difficulties of being a first-time housewife, which I just think must be a pretty challenging thing to undertake, regardless of what your background is. And especially, especially now when you said this, when these franchises are so like famous and established, yeah, and they all—I mean, every city has their kind of like lead woman or lead women that have been there for like ten years at this point. They've lived most of yeah. their like a good chunk of their adult lives on camera. It's a big ask, and you know when you realize how they probably cycle through so many names and test so many people and even this thing of like some people become friends like some people go on under the idea that they'll be a housewife and then they end up being a friend of so like mm -hmm. yeah it's just putting a lot of pressure on like people who like are already gonna have to be the new girl basically yeah. so at the moment we have Beverly Hills and New York airing and in a way, they are both dealing with these kind of conversations about race. They have thrown in new cast members. They're also weirdly in sync around the US election and election parties. It's a bit surreal. Um, what, what, are you, what do you make of the current seasons of Beverly Hills in New York so far? I think that Beverly Hills is in the middle of probably one of their best seasons. Like, I think this is going to go down as a great Beverly Hills season. And it's also just showing uh, New York just needed to add more women. New York needed to add more women. I, yeah. I it seems like they're getting one more uh, who is who will be like a heavily featured friend of. I don't know if she's a full housewife, but it, it's just so joyful to have like even that Tahoe trip that was a total disaster. There were at least there were eight of them that was like, yeah, we're all yeah. in this house together. We have we can't go anywhere. We can just like, you know, go on a boat, go to a go to a dinner where our tables are like two feet apart. That was truly wild. I was like, you're eating inside in the middle of COVID. This is just, oh, please don't. I know. That, I couldn't get my head around that. And then I was like, 
you know, from my point of view here, like at Ireland watching American shows, I'm like, who knows what the COVID rules were at that point in California slash wherever in six to eight months ago, but it still felt really weird. I'm like, would they not just eat outside then? It was, (laughs) it was really weird. Well, in California, especially there was a lockdown and then it kind of opened again. And then there was another lockdown. It was real, it was a real wild yo-yo. I think that they were, I think actually this was November. So they were, California was technically a little bit open at that point in time. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it was weird. But I think Beverly Hills is so great. And God, it is such a relief to watch these um, election parties. And <laughs> no, it's OK. <laughs> well, I keep contrasting it with like Carol's election party on New York. Yes. And I, yeah. I truly didn't watch. I couldn't. I watched the first half of that episode and then I turned it off. I was like, I can't. Uh, this is PTSD. I can't <laughs> yeah. watch this. <laughs> I don't need to relive um, that six absolutely. months down the line. Yeah. No. Uh, so th- at least that was like joyful. I was like, oh, this is fun. They're having an election party. I remember that. Like we yeah. didn't, we knew we weren't going to know. It was anyway. Um, but I can't, I truly can't wait for the Erica stuff to start on Beverly Hills. That's just going to be, oh man, I've been, one of my other interests other than housewives is like grifters and financial malfeasance and Oh wow. So it's a artists. beautiful so, co- collision this season for you. <laughs> this, is a, this is a dream. This is a dream. <laughs> oh man. So that I, I really am excited to see, excited is the wrong word, but I'm interested to see where the rest of this season is going to go and how much that she's how much she's going to talk about and how much she's not going to talk about and what we're going to see. But Beverly Hills is just so fun. Crystal's a great addition. She's awesome. I I feel like I, I identify a lot with Crystal because I am tall. She's tall. She loves a schedule. I love a schedule. I really. She's a good. <laughs> she's a breath of fresh air, and she's a good. She's a good addition to the women that are on the show. I think. Um, and I love Garcelle. Garcelle's just, she's the best. Sutton is always, I'm not sure about Sutton, but she's entertaining, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I go back and forth with Sutton. I, I, it has been a, a thrill to see this weird, like, goofy side of Kathy Hilton that I did not know existed. She is, oh my gosh, she's a goofball. She's, and every, I was, I'm kind of, I've kind of been dragging my feet on the Kathy Hilton thing because... I know that from that, the I didn't really watch the documentary about Paris Hilton, but I know that you know she's responsible for sending Paris to that like scared strip school, yeah. and I keep yeah. thinking. <laughs> and then somebody pointed out, well, like, well, with the Kathy Hilton that we know on Housewives, she probably just thought like, oh, they're gonna ride horses, it'll be great. Yeah, I thought it was gonna be so relaxing. You're like, no, it was. She hated. It. She was traumatized. And I actually, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Like, because I remember I watched the Paris documentary, and I thought, Kathy, you are not coming off well here, girl. And now I'm like maybe she was that oblivious like or this is all part of her master plan to make us think that she was oblivious i don't know but she doesn't seem to be faking the kookiness that's the thing that's i think that's totally true but i i do there is a part of me that does agree with your second point that i'm like <laughs> is this a bit of a pr move are you kind of i mean i don't think she's acting i don't think she's putting it on but it does um i do think it is endearing us all to her more than um uh, more than more than anyone felt after watching that documentary. And it is interesting because the more we see of Kathy this season, the more it sort of explains Kyle in a way because it explains why Kyle is a little bit of a, like a little more of a stick in the mud and a little bit more like into, are we organized? Where are we going? What are we doing? Because I'm like, mm-hmm. she had two sisters who were clearly had a, their head in the clouds and she had to spend probably most of her childhood being like, why are we going? What are we doing? Like, I was like, oh... Kyle makes so much more sense to me yes. now. 
Do, uh, is Kyle the middle or is she the youngest? Because I know Kathy's the oldest. I think she's the middle. I think okay. she's the middle. I'm actually, I can't remember, but to okay. my, she feels like the classic stereotype of the middle child to me. So if she's the youngest, I would be surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I am the oldest. I'm the oldest of three girls. And yeah, I don't think I'm as weird as Kathy, but I have got my quirks, I guess. <laughs> You're like having a moment of self-realization. You're like, oh no, am I the Kathy? You're gonna be texting your sisters like, am I the Please Kathy? Please be honest. <laughs> am I Kathy? <laughs> Have I mean, you done any dental work was, on anyone when you were a child? Should we start there? <laughs> I was just gonna say, I was like, I don't think I did dental work on the neighborhood children, but I certainly made them all act in my plays. So, <laughs> <laughs> do you call any of your relatives Doogie? Let's start, let's ask that question. <laughs> like no, a but personality you know what? test. But what was what I loved about that moment was like, oh my gosh, yeah, don't we all have family members that we have a nickname? And when they were asking her to define Doogie, like Doogie, a, a small child. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's that's one of those things that does happen in families, the kind of weird in jokes that when you try and explain, it's like, oh my God, I can't explain this because it's been my whole life. Like I yes. definitely have that in my family. And it's funny when that comes up in the context of housewives, because they're all so into their presentation and how they come across, and then you've got your big sister being like Doogie <laughs> it's just so like it undercuts so much of the like would-be pretension that's on that show yeah I, I think you might be right I think Beverly Hills is slightly ahead of New York just energy wise yeah and I really feel like on New York you can feel how tricky COVID made filming which is nobody's fault really mm-hmm. but it definitely changes the vibe a little bit as well they really just needed one more I think to because obviously you know they can't go anywhere they can't do anything it's just you know everybody in uh, Sonia and Ramona's house in the uh, and Luann's house in the Hamptons so they just needed one more yeah. and Leah's having it I like Leah I like Leah with a little bit of distance she seems to be she's having a bit of a tough second season and she's somebody that I feel like she you know I, I know that she I'm sure that she also watched the show before coming on and you kind of feel like you're watching her work like you're watching her kind of generate drama like all of the fights with heather this season i was like okay first of all why is i really liked heather when she was on but why is she back on the show and leah just it felt like was like running around screaming at her the whole time for reasons that i couldn't really understand other than getting upset about a podcast it's new york just is feeling a little like manufactured you're kind of seeing it feels like you're seeing the inner workings and we don't want that (laughs) Isn't that so funny, though, because you mentioned earlier that we know it's a show and we know it's stage slash we also invest because it's real. And it is funny how, particularly as you watch Housewives long term, like you accept certain contrivances like we're all going on a trip to insert city here because my cousin is a friend of this person. Like you accept Uh that. But when, as you say, certain clashes or interactions feel stage managed even without thinking it your body just reacts almost or you're like mm, that's fake like it's crazy you develop such a weird filter for this kind of stuff yes yes I, my mom went on a trip with some of her girlfriends actually it was like january the january right before covid started they they were all staying in like a big house and i was joking with her i was like mom are you gonna get in a big fight about who <laughs> about who gets <laughs> who the gets best the room <laughs> yes. and she doesn't she doesn't watch housewives so she was like i don't think so and i just had to explain that this was a recurring bit <laughs> you had your producer hat on you're like i really think you should confront your friend about that room yes. she's like what are you doing i'm like can you do an interview about this in half an hour we have hair and makeup she's like what's going on <laughs> she's like i like these women i'm not gonna yell at them <laughs> 
Oh my God, it's so true. And you mentioned Dallas. Have you been dipping in and out of any other cities? Have you been maybe rewatching anything given that, as you said, you've, you've been watching more TV the last while? Um. Well, first, I mean, my, my, my favorite franchise that's on right now is Potomac. It's not, I mean, it's not on right now, but that is, you know, currently in the yeah. rotation. Potomac is so fun. And I think what, what, what I like about Potomac is that I believe that they kind of found those women as kind of a group already, or at least they had the Robin and Giselle relationship. Th- those women really feel like they are good friends with each other, um, even if they, you know, they fight and they yell at each other too. But um, that they're all such great personalities. They're all so funny. They're so complicated. I think they're all really, they're all like smart women. It's that, I think that's absolutely the best franchise that's um, in the rotation right now. And I've always dipped. I've always dipped in and out of Atlanta. I think that I, I didn't have a TV like r- in the early days of Atlanta, so I've always been a little intimidated by like everyone. All of my friends are like, "Atlanta's the best. Atlanta's the best." And I have watched like seasons here and there, but I've always felt like, "Oh, I don't. I don't know the canon. I don't know the history yeah, of Atlanta." Yeah, it's daunting. It's daunting because yes. there's so many seasons, then they're yeah. all so good, and you're like, "Where do I start?" Yeah, exactly. Um, and but I I watched the most recent season, and I enjoyed it. I know that it was kind of a covid like dip season but i still liked it a lot um oh i don't really so i've watched a little bit of jersey here and there but i i don't i'm i'm from i'm from the midwest i um i know that these shows are all about conflict but like i can't handle the conflict on jersey (laughs) because the way they yell they deal with conflict is like fighting and yelling i guess this happens on all of them but jersey i jersey especially i'm like oh stop yelling at each other please um, and is that when you say you're from the Midwest, do you mean that like maybe culturally where you're from, that is not how you deal with conflict? Or is it too reminiscent? I don't know, of like stuff oh, you saw as a kid or something. I don't know. No, it's culturally not how I deal with conflict. Uh, oh, okay. At least in the Midwest, like, what does that mean? <laughs> sorry. It's, yeah. In the, you know, in the middle of the country, in the middle of the United States, we think we're very nice to everyone and no one's done anything yeah. wrong. And so... Um, so I, I I won't be expecting the Royal Housewives of the Midwest anytime no. soon. It sounds a little conflict averse. No, I think it would be a little, it would, I would like it because I would, you know, it's a lot of, oh, bless your heart, you little idiot. Like it's people being <laughs> passive aggressive and nice to your face yeah. and talking about you behind your back. But yeah, I don't think it would make for great television. You did co-write a book recently, Cinderella and the Glass Ceiling and other feminist fairy tales, which kind of subverts tropes and I guess things in fairy tales that we've kind of always just assumed are the way they are and do you think that real housewives which is you know from the reality tv world which often leans on cliches and stereotypes do you think that's a franchise that could do with being subverted or do you think it actually kind of subverts tropes or turns things on their head yeah i think um i i think the latter i for people that watch these shows i think we all know how kind of nuanced and messy and complicated the women on these shows are. I know that, like, wh- I think that somebody maybe who doesn't watch the show or only watches a little bit of it would just see, oh, these women are yelling at each other. This is a fight. You know, you yeah. don't see, like, the, the quieter scenes or the quieter episodes where stuff isn't really happening, but you're just kind of getting a glimpse into what these women's normal day-to-day lives are like. Um, I think that ha- this is... <laughs> You mentioned that I'm working on a project about Housewives, and one of the things that I have had the most difficulty with is it's these shows are really hard to parody because they're already so big. I like I don't yeah. really think parody is an effective tool here because these women are larger than life. These stories are larger than life. You know, they're already kind of parodies of themselves in a really great way. Although that being said, there was a fun show on Hulu 
um, the Hot Wives of Orlando that I've watched a little bit, and that those yes. shows were very fun. But they they did it very well. But I think otherwise, it's really difficult to do a send up of of, the, of these shows. And it's interesting because Hot Wives of Orlando, people, I think you can, I think you can get it on like iTunes here. But it was okay. for people who haven't seen it was written and created by Casey Wilson and Daniel Schneider, who now do the podcast Bitch Set, which of course is all about housewives. And they have kind of said that even since they did Hot Wives the shows have taken on an even more heightened layer where stuff that they would have joked about has happened on the show. So I even think a few years ago, you could have parodied Housewives because certain tropes were so baked in. But now that they're breaking the fourth wall and they've had conversations about race and class and gender and all that kind of thing, like, I think now the shows feel so much even harder to predict that. I think you're right. Like, where would you go with a really exaggerated parody? Because the shows low-key are a parody of themselves in a way. I will say the other so that this is just going back a little bit, but the other show that I do watch yeah. that I really love, well, it's not on right now, is Vanderpump Rules. I have been a big fan of Vanderpump Rules for a long time, even before actually I watched the Beverly Hills Housewives. And I think oh. I really connected to Vanderpump because I was in my 20s and living in New York and working at a restaurant surrounded by other people who were like trying to make it in the entertainment industry. So there was a lot uh uh, the Sir staff was more deranged than the people that I was working with, but I felt uh, <laughs> I'm I, good. Good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I felt a kinship with those people. <laughs> yeah, that show is. I feel like a little bit of a fake fan of Vanderpump Rules because I I think I came on season five or six, but once I started watching, I was like, oh, I get it now. There's yeah. a kind of a whole other kind of cult following that that show has because I think in a way you're right. It mirrors people's 20s and 30s but also I used to tell people Vanderpump Rules is like the hills if they all stayed on TV too long and they yes. were all probably drinking too much on the side like yes there's a certain kind of there's a certain kind of desperation and almost sadness to it that is fascinating that's just you couldn't you really couldn't make up yeah I think I also loved watching it that because it was like the the Los Angeles version of what I was living in New York yes in yes New York, people were a little um I mean, I'm just going to say this. They were like, we were all a little more serious. Like everyone was up at 7 a.m. Like going to an audition and then wow. at the restaurant at four o'clock, like ready to work until 10, like 10 or 11 that night. So it, it's just like, uh, oh God, I love Vanderpump so much. Those those people were so, me- they are so messy. It's <laughs> the first, you should really, I actually during quarantine went back and watched the first, I think, four seasons of that show, I just had it on in the background because the drama, they're all sleeping with each other. It's absolute mayhem. Yeah. You couldn't write it yeah. if it was a soap opera. It's incredible television. I actually really want to go back, but also because they've now fired so many of the cast for like racist, you know, mishaps or they've just gotten rid of people who kind of stayed on the show too long. I'm almost like, do I want to go back and relive Stassi's early years? Like I can't, I'm kind of torn because you're, it's funny. There's no one really likable in Pump Rules. Well, there's a few, but it's not a show of people you root for per se. So I'm like, I could go back and hate watch this, but I am a little bit torn because there's been a, a reckoning, shall we say. Yes, you're absolutely right. None of them are well, I really like Ariana, but for the most part, same. That's who are, I was thinking of. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like her. <laughs> She's great, and like, man, as I was also doing comedy, her infamous line about saying, "I'm very serious about comedy." Like, I'm sure I said that at one point in my <laughs> in my mid twenties. <laughs> when you so were I was like in, making a cocktail. <laughs> yeah, when you were in New York and surrounded by like actor friends in a restaurant watching that show, did you ever kind of go? 
you're such a Jax. I, you're such a Stassi and I'm such an Ari. Like, did you find yourself, I know you said they weren't as extreme, but like, did it feel like that, that there were those kind of characters in the restaurant in New York? Yeah. Um. Well, thank goodness. Did we have a Jax? I think, thank goodness, we did not have a Jax. So that's okay. good. But definitely, oh yeah, there were like, I mean, there was a very close-knit group of friends at this restaurant. And I remember getting really mad one year because like, they were all Leos and they were so excited about Leo season. And then they made you go to their birthdays individually. I was like, for the love of God, there are five of you. Please, like, please have a joint birthday party. We can't all like have this many nights off. That actually, that sounds like a storyline that would happen on Pump Rose. So yes. maybe it was, maybe there were, <laughs> there were some similarities. Um, I know you mentioned you live, you lived in New York then. I know you live in California now. And I'm curious, like, between living those two places and, and working in in show business, have you had any Real Housewives run-ins or sightings or interactions? The only one is Dorinda. I saw Dorinda. Um, actually, the, the restaurant where I worked was in this building called the Time Warner Center in New York, yes. and it's on Columbus Circle. Um, and it's it's a funny building because it's basically a high end mall, <laughs> but. Um, Anyway, I saw Dorinda in there, like, I think actually twice. And she was always, I, I think both times somebody came up to her and said, like, oh, were you on The Real Housewives? I really, I'm a big fan. And she was very sweet both times, just saying, like, oh, yeah, and chatting with somebody. Um, but she was just, like, shopping. But that's really, she's the only one that I've ever run into. And I think, I know stories of people who have, um, like, kind of worked, that kind of have, like, been in, uh, have talked to Sonia and they've said lovely things about Sonia. Um, but it, you've said this before, but I think that I always kind of worry, stress about like if I ever met one of them, because I think I would get very um, nervous. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm always like, how would I handle this? Because I just, I feel like I know them so well. I obviously don't know them, but it's, it's yeah. just this particular layer of celebrity that's so unique and specific that I'm like, I don't, I don't trust myself to handle it well. Whereas I've been around like, you know, my work as a DJ, I've met a lot of like the queens from RuPaul's Drag Race. And because I work mm-hmm. with regular drag queens, not regular, but like non-famous <laughs> ones, I can be like, okay, I recognize that you're of the same ilk as this person. I just know you from TV or I've interviewed musicians, but there's something about like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't think I'd know how to act if I was <laughs> to realize, like, like, hi. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like I just said, I just said that, like, oh, I really identify with Crystal. And like, if I ever saw her, I'd be like, hello, I really identify with you. I <laughs> Just not a normal thing to say to anyone. <laughs> and you know, because she's quite sardonic, she'd be like, okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm really, I'm really rich. Do you relate to that? Or, and then she'd just probably walk off. So yeah, but that. And then sometimes I feel like if I met certain housewives and they were rude, I'd almost prefer that because then it's true to form. Like, I feel like if I met yeah. Ramona and she was being rude or obnoxious, I'd be like, well, it does. It's Ramona. That's kind of what I wanted. Right. Right. Yeah. I think. Oh, you know what? Uh, the other thing, my um, uh, my sisters got me a cameo from Ashley Darby for Christmas, and it was great. She did a really great job. She was very funny and very sweet. <laughs> oh wow! What did, did she? I mean, I mean, you don't have to say everything because it's personal. But did she say anything of note? It, it was just very sweet because it was this Christmas, so I wasn't. Uh, my husband and I stayed in California, and my family was in. Um, they they weren't there, so mm-hmm. I was like pretty. You know, this Christmas was hard. I think for everybody, I was very sad about it. Yeah, and yeah. she was. She uh she just said they had put they had put something in the note about like my cat and so, so Ashley just talked about my cat for like three minutes it was very sweet <laughs> she said I know this Christmas is hard for everybody and yeah it was very endearing 
I'm gonna go three minutes. That's good value. It was you long. Some yes. These, some of them are not putting in more than thirty seconds. We also, um, we got my friends and I got a cameo from Joe du- Judice from uh of the Real Housewives of New Jersey fame oh God. for oh God. our <laughs> other friend who was going through like a tough, tough breakup, a tough moment in her life, and he. It was hysterical. It was four minutes long. He kind of hit on her in this cameo. Oh. He was like, he was like, hey, you know, uh, well, first of all, he got her name wrong. Her name is Chet, C-H-E-T. And he kept calling yeah. her chef. He said, hey, you're the best chef. <laughs> chef. I'm like, how did, what part of tea made him think chef? Oh I don't my know. God. You know, he clearly like glanced at it and he was like, okay, chef, going through a breakup. Yeah, okay. I, like, I, I can actually see him going, hey, hey, chef. Yeah. And he was like, he was in Italy. There was like a beautiful view behind him. He was like, hey, oh come here. God. Like, <laughs> it was, it was worth every penny. Oh my God. It's, yeah. and it's funny too. It is one of those websites. Sometimes I will just go on and see, first of all, who charges what. And then, uh-huh whatever way it's set up you can watch like the last four or five videos they've posted or sent out so like just seeing as you say who does a few minutes worth and the ones who are like hi i'm so and so happy birthday okay bye and you're like you charged 500 dollars for that like it is the varying levels of a commitment to cameo always fascinates me but yeah i am so tempted to get one for myself or somebody else i don't know who i'd have to think about it but maybe not joe maybe not this time around well, Ashley Darby did a great job, so I I, uh, I, I support her, <laughs> her cameos. Um, I know that you spent time, and I don't know, maybe you're still doing stuff there as well, working at UCB and performing mm-hmm. there, and I know that your book kind of came out of a show that you and your co-writer did there. Like, did you ever find yourself, you know, because I've done a little, I mean, I'm not at the UCB level at all, but I've done a small bit of improv over the years, and I always find it weird what comes up or what you reference in the moment because you're kind of thinking on your feet have you ever found yourself in improv moments being like I was low-key channeling like someone from Housewives and I didn't even realize well what I think you know what I've done before is um like kind of this has happened to me in both in um both ways but I've like referenced a specific Housewives moment that like occupies a large space in my brain and like clearly yeah. my scene partner has like no idea what's going yeah. on <laughs> and just you know you just kind of hang have to like hang there and hang with it and that's also I've been on the other end of that where someone has referenced like I don't know like a comic book thing I've like totally I've totally sat out like the Marvel universe I haven't re- honestly watched like many of those movies but somebody will like be like Oh, you know Iron Man. I'm like, yes, he's very strong. <laughs> yes, and iron. you're like, yeah. <laughs> yes, and that's Iron Man, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. That is really something I would do. Like, name drop this really iconic Housewives moment and just be met with like complete blank stare. Yes. So okay, that yeah, that's relatable to me as a would be improviser. Um, <laughs> I would love to know as you know someone who's kind of gone back and rewatched shows and rediscovered the love of housewives lately i'm sure you've dwelled on this but what your tagline would be and why okay i was thinking about this i was i felt like very stuck and so then i just leaned into um i leaned into the princess uh since our book is about you know feminist fairy tales i leaned into the princess side of it um I really never thought that I would be in my 30s and spending so much time thinking about fairy tales, but here we are. <laughs> um, so, okay, so here's my tagline. I'm no princess, but I can definitely handle these witches. Oh, that's good. I felt very proud of myself for that. 
delivered with flair and I, I am laughing because we've just talked about improv and I find sometimes when people can't think of a tagline it becomes like an improv exercise where I'm like what if we did this uh-huh. oh you work in that How? Well, I'm, so I'm, I'm glad that you just came in and said here's the line deliver it and go I was trying to think about something like about being like conflict avoidant from the Midwest from part of the country yes. that doesn't like conflict and I was like this is anticlimactic I can't do that I, can't. <laughs> I feel like it, yeah for the Midwest all I can think you'd say is some kind of play on the best and the midwest but it's like yeah. how far how far will that get you like and i'm like i'm i'm not just the best i'm from the midwest yes like, i don't know that's <laughs> that's not but then the, there are sometimes taglines that are just truly either they're total non sequiturs or they suck so you know some seasons some people are gonna be that person yeah well and even like erica's one that that is now getting um uh, replayed a lot because of all, everything she's going through but that was like I'm a riddle wrapped in an enigma wrapped in a something else it was like that doesn't make any sense oh yeah she's like I'm a riddle wrapped in an enigma and cash and yeah. it's like stop right. talking about your money this feels weird stop bringing yes. up your money this feels really weird now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know I feel like a lot of Erica's stuff in retrospect now has like I don't know how you feel about this because I did manage sadly but gladly because I wanted to see it but it wasn't an easy watch watch the Hulu doc Housewife and the Hustler and there's a lot of stuff in that about replaying clips under the idea that the money used to fund it was maybe gotten through yeah. not great means or it, like you know it's casted a shadow on it but it's also this weird thing where I'm like oh yeah like that money may have come from a legit source but we cannot judge the conspicuous consumption as Housewives fans because that's a fraction of the reason we watch like you know yeah. I feel like I'm having a bit of a moment about that I don't know how you feel about it yeah well it's I mean it's very interesting it's um yeah I'm definitely I watch I watch the documentary and the it for anybody in the the UK or Ireland the Los Angeles Times is doing like really incredible reporting on Tom Girardi yes. and they've run a bunch of articles and I'm sure you can I think you have to pay like a dollar for a you know a week-long subscription or something but you can read those articles are all great um, yeah, I think that, and I, I'm also been thinking a lot about like the varying degrees to like, what did Erica know? Because Tom, what Tom was doing, like predated her by like 20 years, he's been running this yeah. like Ponzi scheme for, you know, 40 years. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that to a certain extent, she was starting to figure it out and to know. But one of the other things that I thought was really interesting in that documentary was one of the lawyers they interviewed was said like, he's too, you know, lawyers make a lot of money and Tom was very successful, but like to have two planes, like he was spending money at a level that was too high for what he was probably making. Um, that one, and that one of the lawyers said that. Like in retrospect, I thought, like, oh, he's not that rich. He's obviously very rich, but he's not two private planes rich. Yeah, and actually, something that I had never considered until I watched the documentary was this idea that even if Tom was making huge, huge money from whatever cases he was taking or trying in this case and winning that the nature of the cases often had this humanitarian or Mm -hmm. you know going up against the system kind of angle to them and so then for you then to use all of your money even if it wasn't extra money that you shouldn't have had like to use those winnings to then lead this lavish like hyper capitalist lifestyle was actually like in really poor taste and I'd never I'd never thought of that I was like oh yeah maybe it is tacky if you're like effectively a kind of human rights lawyer to be like and also my wife has too many shoes it was very (laughs) like oh yeah I'd never considered that angle yeah that's a really good point yeah I I think he got away with a lot of uh, um got away with a lot of that like um uh by just being like such a big 
like Demo- donor to Democratic candidates, you know, I think because he was on the because of the causes and the people that he donated to and championed, I think he was maybe able to get away with the fact that they were living such a lavish life- lifestyle. And then that, of course, like uh, one of the articles and one of the most recent articles in the L.A. Times goes into details about like how close he was with members of the California bar. So every time somebody would take a complaint to the, the California bar, they would just be like, oh, it's Tom. They would ignore it because they were all such good friends with him because he'd like thrown them all these lavish parties and taken them to lunch. And ugh, it's pretty dark. I know. And when you think of, uh, it, I think you've made a good point too, that some of this is all pre-Erica. So now it's like between what we might see in this season and what might come out legally, because that even that is changing like mm-hmm. almost day after day, mm-hmm. is trying to figure out how how much she was involved, how much she turned a blind eye or how clueless she was because there were moments in the doc where they're like she was made the trustee of this and put her name here but i'm also like was that something where she was just told by tom yeah oh just sign that because like on the show i actually think the fact that he was so present on her first season and then very slowly but surely kind of almost disappeared off the show felt telling like it it has echoes of camille Mm. and kelsey Grammer in her Mm -hmm. first season where he seemed to be almost like go do this show so i can like slowly get rid of you yeah like i do wonder did he like tom let her run off with all that money and do the pop star reality thing because it kind of kept her out of his business in a way i don't know i yeah. don't i and i don't want to defend her either because like my friends all joke you're the only erica stan in the world i'm like pre-crime <laughs> pre-crime but well, i'm i'm very torn <laughs> i'm with you i was a big fan of erica um and i think also I, I think that she there are some things that she knew and some things that she didn't understand, but she's very smart. So it's it's kind of impossible to say like, oh, she didn't know anything. The thing that I also have thought a lot about is that for it, their marriage was, I mean, untraditional in like the sense that of the, in the in the age difference. But it always actually seemed yeah. quite traditional in that Tom was the breadwinner and she, you know had her like hobbies. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't really imagine like Tom coming home and saying, well, honey, today was a really tough day at work. Let me tell you, I'm stealing this money and I think I'm going to get caught. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think that they really talked about that. See, that's the part, like, that's the thing because I don't want to, like, I don't want to go, she had no idea she talked. Because I do think we should allow the fact that she could have been involved or that even if she wasn't, a lot of the money she's used to bolster her fame was probably coming from allegedly a not great way of getting that money. But that's the thing. I don't, particularly because the lawyers at the firm were clueless, I just don't see him sitting down at the dinner table and spilling his guts through that way. Not least because now that she has been doing the show for five, six years, if he left that much of a paper trail or just said something on a hot mic that could be misconstrued right. or picked up. That could, I don't know. It just, I feel like there's a layer to it that we haven't gotten yet and it could make her look way worse and it could be the nail in her coffin or it could just be like, you know what, can you give back the 30 plus million on shoes and we'll go from there? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think if you can. <laughs> I think what's actively making her look bad right now is how she's handling it and like, um, you know, like the... Bernie Madoff's family, they were like, we're so sorry. We didn't know. Here's all of our stuff. It's going like to, it like yeah, went to exactly. all of the victims. And um, 
you know, she's not doing that. So <laughs> I right. think that her tone is, is yeah. very odd in social media. Yeah. And it's this kind of she keeps going back to huh, I'm a bad bitch. Yeah. It's like that's fun when you're wearing a cat suit singing songs about your vagina for 40 minutes. But like we're talking about really serious charges and like you trying to like spin this into some kind of girl boss thing is very that's where I, I'm a bit like, oh, I don't think you have the handle on the story. Even that weird thing where she leaked texts off an yes. old phone about Tom. I was like, wait, you don't have a clue what you're doing here, do you? Yeah, I totally agree. Oh, God. I mean, I just, it, it, uh, you were saying earlier, like, scenes in the show that, like, take up so much of your brain. I feel like this story has <laughs> yes. taken up way yes. too much of my brain. <laughs> I mean, because I think, really, honestly, my two interests in, um during, like, COVID quarantine were, like, The Housewives and Bravo, and then, like, reading, like, I read a book about Bernie Madoff. I, like, got really into, like, reading about the mafia. <laughs> so yes, this is just yes. the, um, the intersection of my two interests, I guess. And actually, because you've kind of been interested in, like, scammers and how people do all these like kind of crimes for our money like has anything from that I guess research if you will like rung true when you're reading about Tom and Erica have you kind of gone oh well actually like because I don't really follow true crime and stuff for me mm-hmm. I do feel a little bit out of my depth even talking about this has anything correlated with what you've been reading about other cases or anything not that you're a lawyer but you know what I mean yes no I, I, yeah I'm not a lawyer this is just something I'm interested in um <laughs> yeah exactly I, I think that I've just been very surprised not surprised actually not surprised at all but so many of the people that are on these shows the the housewives and then their husbands if the if their husbands are the ones that are making the money they have really sketchy business practices like most yeah. of um several of the uh okay on in Salt Lake City I mean Salt Lake is Salt Lake City in Utah in general is a hotbed for multi-level marketing schemes and like you know pyramid schemes basically but Whitney's husband owns one um like obviously Jen Shaw, so many of these people, and I'm sh- and like this is I think part part of the like larger meta narrative about housewives. But so many of these people, it's not like it's not like these are like lawyers and and bankers, you know. Like they are, they a lot of these people have made their fortunes like in kind of sketchy ways. Um, yeah. So I just it, it's not just Erica and Tom. It's it's a lot of these people. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. right, and it's that thing of I think people keep defaulting to between Teresa and Jen and Erica and all these people, they keep saying, why go on television if you could be exposed for X so easy? And you realize, well, actually, if people are running like those kind of MLM type things, they kind of think they're invincible in in some way. Yeah. Nobody that's running a Ponzi scheme ever thinks they're going to get caught. That's why they're running a Ponzi scheme, because they think it's going to work for forever. So, of course, these people are on television. They don't think they're ever going to get caught. Yeah, I, that's a spinoff I want. The Real Housewives of Multi-Level Marketing. That could I, be a show. I truly do, too. Yeah. <laughs> I think you could help produce it, probably. Yeah, actually, this is a great idea. <laughs> we'll talk more after the great, interview. Great, that great, could great. be our pitch meeting later. Um, another thing I love to ask people who watch the shows a lot and have lots of strong opinions on them is this fantasy dinner party idea so tomorrow you're having five people from housewives world over for dinner they could be the housewives themselves could be their husbands friends of side characters who knows it's as rich as the marvel cinematic universe i know you don't watch much marvel (laughs) um but who are you inviting and why so my the the housewives that i like truly love are the ones that are kind of like the B, like the, the B housewives, you know, they're they're not like the focus of the drama. They're they're just kind of in scenes and you know, they maybe have like one or like one big moment a season or maybe two big moments a season. But I I think mm-hmm. that those women really like flush out the cast in really wonderful ways. So 
I mean, so, so I would absolutely have Sonia. And Sonia is obviously, she's like an old school, she's an old school housewife. But to a certain extent, she's like that. She's just like there for like the funny quips. Um, yeah. And I know I said, I don't watch, I don't watch uh, Jersey that much, but I love Dolores. Dolores is yeah. awesome. She's just, she's great. She's like salt of the earth. I love the way that she's living her life. I, I think she's great. Oh, I would also want Candy because Candy is, I would want to talk to Candy about her career. And yeah. she, it's so, it's interesting to me that she's been on Housewives for so long, but still Still seems very down to earth. I guess maybe she spent her whole career like in the entertainment industry. But um, yeah, I love candy. I okay, that's three. I think that I would want. Um, oh gosh, I think I would want Robin from Potomac because, like Robin yes. in Potomac, she's again she's not the source of any drama, but she's just always she's always there and she's always like nice to have around. Um, and then oh okay, one more. Um, ooh, I think. I think I would actually have Heather from Salt Lake. I she's a bit of a wild card because I think people are worried that her second season she's going to be too full of herself. But I really yeah, liked yeah. I really liked Heather, and um, she would be a, she would be a good dinner party guest. I think she's a good conversation. She's a good chat. You've picked this lovely mix of like the kind of chill ones who like are good for like as you say a quip or something but they're not they're, I don't think Anne's gonna flip a table or no. throw a glass of wine at your dinner party I think we're gonna have a, a genuinely nice time <laughs> <laughs> it might be a scene that would be cut from right, the show exactly. for time but it will be a nice evening's dinner exactly <laughs> I also I, I keep thinking of like now that you've said it like Dolores I feel like Dolores would sit Sonia down and, and be like what's going on here yes okay uh, are you gonna get married or not like yeah. I feel like she'd really kind of tough love but like mother her in a way I feel like Sonia and Dolores together that could be such an interesting I combination I know oh I just love Do- Dolores is just so not no nonsense and I just I love that about her and Sonia Sonia's so Sonia really has such a good heart she's it's just interesting because you I do feel like I don't know gosh maybe I'm reading into this maybe I'm a sucker but I do feel like you really very frequently can kind of tell on shows like this like in acting school people always tell you like the camera doesn't lie and it's like yeah I think Sonia Sonia doesn't really have her life together but like she's a nice person I think I think you've hit on something though that I think there's a grain of truth that like obviously if you popped up on one episode and they just edited all the times you were drunk yeah you're not going to see what the person's like but I do think and it's something about Housewives in particular I find fascinating if you watch it for a long time is you do see a lot of their traits and their vibes and little things that they do. And you do get, a, I would say, a sense of them. Like, as you say, we don't actually really know them. But, like, I do think the longer the watch, you watch certain characters, women, I should say, not characters, they're real people. <laughs> I do think you get a sense of what they're like. I, I can't, I mean, and again, I'm like, are we suckers for thinking that? But I right. do feel like you do get a, a vibe for them. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I do think you do. I I think that's yeah. the reality part of the reality television. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I guess we can never know. <laughs> yeah, we will never know. Yeah, I do. Yeah, like particularly with Sonia, I'm like, and even her messiness. Like sometimes uh-huh. I'm like, oh God, you're out of control. But I also don't, I kind of feel like she does that for our benefit. Yeah. Do you know, like I feel like she goes into, ham it up, Morgan, ham it up, have another drink. Like I don't worry about her the way 
I've seen other women drunk on these shows and gone, oh, God, that doesn't look good. You're not in a judgy way more, and I hope you're okay way. I think that sometimes that's what people find off-putting about Sonia, because I think she does turn it on for the cameras a little bit. Like, you know, she's yeah. clearly having an extra glass of wine for fun. Yeah. yeah. She's like, oh, poor another one. <laughs> yeah. Poor another one. This scene has been pretty slow moving. Yep, I yep. got to... <laughs> it's even up the to way me. she went to... Yeah. Yeah. Like, even the way after the season four last and kind of during COVID, she spent like the guts of like two months and like some wellness retreat. I was like, mm-hmm. she just is like an athlete. She has like, her on season is drinking too much and screaming. And then yes. her off season is like, you know, recharging and maybe having a facelift. Like in a way it's kind of, <laughs> it's her Olympics. <laughs> and and honestly, I'm always going to have a lot of respect for her for not putting her, her daughter on the show. Like I, I, the, yeah. When I really, I guess when I get judgy with housewives is when they're kind of depending on their children. And I'm like, oh, you're kind of, and I don't think that many of them do that, but um, that having your kid on the show has always felt a little murky to me. So I like that Sonia didn't. Yeah, it is a little bit of a fine line because in a way, if the kids are of a certain age and they're in these women's lives, like as in if we're going over to see them get, have lunch and I'm going on the phone, their kid's going to be there. But sometimes if the kid is in it too much or sometimes like, the you can tell the housewife in question is not looking to like have their kid on screen too much but you can kind of tell some of the kids are playing up for the camera yes. in the way that they would if a relative was visiting or something like and i'm like no 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 like i don't think you're this engaged with your parent when there's no cameras around right. it's such a weird thing oh my god i love I'm, i think our i think our predictions about sonia are correct yes i do um, too. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you mentioned that you were rewatching certain shows and going back over things kind of during COVID and that kind of thing. So is there something that's next for you on your housewife's journey, like maybe a city you've never watched before or one that you want to go back to? Well, okay, so I need to, I, there are, I, I get, my sisters gave me the seasons of Atlanta that I need to watch. So I'm going to do that. Um, and I also, honestly, I... Like I said this earlier, but Vanderpump Rules was kind of my entry into The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So I haven't watched mm-hmm. a lot of the early seasons of Beverly Hills. So I'm going to go back and do that because I've also heard that like those are the great ones. I think that cord- yeah. that lined up with the time when I didn't have a television. So Oh, my God. Seasons one and two. Are- yes. And actually, they'll kind of give you, I think, because Kathy is back. Well, not back, but Kathy's on the show in a bigger way now. I think it'll. I think you'll feel so differently about the Kathy Kyle Kim stuff if you watched the first two seasons as okay. well. Oh my god! Ooh, I'm excited. Oh, that's. A, <laughs> oh, I'm kind of excited for you because I maybe you picked it up from listening to the previous episodes, but also over here in Ireland, a lot of people discovered Housewives through season one and two of Beverly Hills. Yes, like really this time last year. Yes. So it's been crazy the last year. I feel like so. I've seen so many people be like, I can't believe this happened on a show ten years ago. I'm like, welcome, welcome to the <laughs> welcome to the mad world of Bravo. Uh-huh. Um, before we go before we wrap up if people want to check out your work or your book where can they find that slash you yeah so um, the book is called Cinderella and the Glass Ceiling and Other Feminist Fairy Tales and we have and we have an Instagram that we post sporadically uh, feminist fairy tales book and then my personal I only do Instagram for social media but my personal one is Ellen at Ellen Hahn which is just my name and um, you can buy the book wherever books are sold it's not I, it's not available, I believe, in the UK or Ireland right now, which um, drives me crazy because our wonderful illustrator lives in in the UK. So, oh but, really? Oh, that's frustrating. Well, it, it is I know just from experience as someone who has literally bought like housewives <laughs> memoirs online that aren't available here. Like places like Book Depository are usually really good for that kind of thing. Like you can find 
like US titles on there. So if anyone wants to check it out, I'm sure I'll, I'll if I can find a link for that, I'll pop it in the show notes. But I love the way you're thinking of that because yeah, I'm always like, is your book available easily here? And some authors are like, I don't know, like yeah. Google it. Like <laughs> they're not even thinking about that. So you're a step ahead of most oh, uh, good. US okay. authors in that regard. <laughs> I was well, that was like you know we have the book has been translated into a few languages, which has been like one of the coolest parts of this oh, whole wow. process. So I don't know if you're in Poland and then the um I believe the the uh, Dutch edition is coming out later this year, but um, I guess that like I speak a little Spanish, and then like our illustrator lives in the UK, and I was like, okay, the two like foreign markets that I want this book in are the UK <laughs> and Latin America, and we have yet to be in either. So oh, it's it's early days. Mm, Who yes, knows? Yes, Who yes, knows? Yes, yes. And I know you mentioned um, you mentioned you're working on like kind of a housewifey project, so I guess we can cross our fingers or keep an eye out for that as yes, well yes that'll be um i post all, all i post all of like my videos and short films and things on my personal instagram so it's all there yeah Ooh, and I'll, exciting i'll I post updates wait. whenever i yeah yes or just be like hey i'm watching season one of beverly hills and it's a wild ride yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well listen it has been a joy to catch up today from a random email to a full-blown housewives conversation oh. it's been a joy ellen Hahn, thank you very much for coming on housewives and me oh my gosh thank you that was Ellen Hahn here on Housewives and Me. You can check her out on social media. I'll put links to that in the show notes and you can find her book online as well. She very kindly sent me a copy after the interview and it looks great. The illustrations are really funny. Like it's a really well thought out funny read. So I'm going to put a link to where you can buy it online if you sound, if you, if it sounds like something that would be up your street because I do think it's a really clever take for a book. And it was so great to chat to her and to think that that came out of a random Instagram message and then an email and then a Zoom call. And then I was like, hey, come on my podcast. That is the beauty of plugging into the Housewives fandom. You get to talk to so many cool people. If you liked what you heard today and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving a rating or a review. It really helps the algorithm, the charts. I'm not loving this Apple Podcast update, so anything to help me battle against the complete unuser-friendly update would be much appreciated. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can follow the show. New episodes come out every single Tuesday. On social media, you can find us on at Housewives and Me on Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to follow me, it's It's Connor Bean on those platforms as well. There are lots more great guests coming in the next few weeks, so do stay tuned. I'm very excited about this, I guess, hot girl summer moment. <laughs> I don't know. I just wanted to say hot girl summer. But I'm excited for more great chats coming up on the podcast in the coming weeks. So until next time, thank you very much for listening. Stay safe and I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>